Hello, my name is Adam. Hi, my name is Johnny. And, and we, we have never, never seen Casablanca. everyone welcome back to another episode of fine i'll watch it my name is bridget and as you heard up top i'm joined by adam and johnny today uh, to watch 1942's casablanca um one of the most famous movies ever made uh when i was going through our list and looking at sort of what what we could possibly do this week. I saw Casablanca and I saw only my name was ticked off and I was shook to the core. You, that you were then ticked you, off. Yeah, I was. And then I was pissed. Um, <laughs> no, I was, uh, I was shocked that this was something that both Johnny and Adam hadn't seen. So very excited that we're going to be watching it tonight. It's one of my faves. It's one of many people's faves. So, just to start off, because this is a very, very popular movie, imminently quoted. What do you guys know? How did this slip past your radar? I'll let you go first, Johnny. Okay. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I I probably don't really have an excuse for having to gone through. Uh, you know, not really a film school per se, but taking a ton of film courses. So maybe I blame my teachers for not showing me this movie, <laughs> uh, my professors. But yeah, I just I, obviously Casablanca, just the name itself is probably think people think of the movie more than the place in general. If anything, you probably put it on the map. Yeah, I again, I don't really have a lot of excuses. I know Humphrey Bogart is in it. Um, I know it's black and white. I think for the longest time, I always because I know there are this is a drama slash romance, and I think the romance the romance always sort of deterred me. But I've gone to appreciate a lot of romances over the last decade or so, and gotten into a lot of them. So now I just again this this one that I would want to take off for sure. Don't know who the director is. Um, World War Two, I think one two. Somewhere we'll between find out. World War it's one, two. one point I'll spoil five. It. It's two. <laughs> um, I am excited. This is like I, literally a way off my chest. I think to finally watch this one. <laughs> you feel free now. You can. Admit I, I feel you free. Can, can I feel that forward. much freer. Yeah. We're 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 rectifying the issue. <laughs> Correct. Uh, how about you, Adam? Uh, I probably in the same boat as Johnny. I think. Growing up, it would have been, first of all, an older film, which to try to get a kid or a teen to watch an older film is a chore. <laughs> you know, like if there's not color and splash and pomp and whatever, then it's, it's you're going to be hard pressed to get someone to sit down and watch it. So that was probably the first hurdle. I, too, am kind of surprised this never came across my eyes in college, you know, taking film courses and taking things that would have shown me this and did in fact show me a lot of older movies. This is one where I'm, I'm honestly surprised and I'll be interested to actually watch it and see if I can pinpoint maybe 
why a film as big as this wouldn't be part of a curriculum. I saw things like Citizen Kane where, okay, maybe that was early enough that it was super pioneering, whereas this was just kind of a run-of-the-mill 1940s movie, but was just a really good movie. So maybe maybe it didn't pioneer enough things, or maybe it didn't set the standard for enough things. Um, so I'll be interested to kind of put that perspective on it and see why maybe this wasn't a part of that. But I know I think a lot of this movie, as you mentioned, it's highly quoted. The frankly, my dears, I don't give a damn. You're gonna regret it. Maybe not today. You know, I like I know a lot of the different things that ha- I have no context for any of yeah. it beyond there's a love story and she has to get on that plane or maybe she doesn't. I don't know. Um, but that you know, those kinds of things have seeped into it where a lot of people out there probably have heard line after line from this and just didn't know that that's where it originated because now it's just a common saying. So it'll be interesting to kind of put those into context or at the very least be like, oh, you know what? I've heard people say this my entire life and I never, I just, I didn't know. I didn't know that's where this came from. So uh, it'll be interesting for that reason alone, I think, because so much of it has just seeped into every other element of popular culture. I'm sure there's, you know, we talk about this all the time with some of these older movies, like The Simpsons did a bit, I'm sure. I'm sure they've referenced it a handful of times per episode, just, you know, throwing out references to things like this, because this is what people would have understood. And those writers would have grown up with their parents having this be their favorite movie. So it'll be interesting to kind of put this seeming pop culture juggernaut into into perspective for sure yeah i i almost want to question you more about what you guys think you know about the movie but i don't want to head too much into spoiler zone so i guess i'll not but i am excited to see how much this movie meets your expectations and if there are things in it that end up surprising you you know the kind of high watermarks that are quoted or referenced the most frequently are not necessarily always, for me, some of my favorite parts of the movie, but I guess we'll we'll get there when we get there. What are your expectations going in, if any? I think, again, I didn't. I tried to avoid reading too much into this going. I want to go pretty blind into tonight, um, but that it is in the background of World War II or a war that we're going to get uh, a nice hybrid mix of a movie. I was just trying to like pull up some movies that I've seen in the past where they just, they mix the romance and the war. I mean, some of them as new as, you know, the enemy at the gates, atonement, some of these other ones. So I think, and again, I don't, I don't want to get ahead of myself and expect like action or anything because I don't think that's there. I think it's more just the high drama that comes with the workings, the politics and stuff of war in some romance maybe get, gets involved. But I enjoy Humphrey Bogart. I've only seen a handful of it. I love the the Maltese Falcon. That's a great movie. That was one that I think I wanted us to watch during Noir November. And it just kind of just, I don't know. We watched a bunch of good ones anyways, but yeah. I enjoyed that one quite a bit. So I always enjoyed watching him and his cadence and everything. And I'm sure we're going to get some flashes of like that noir sort of dialogue that Adam always loves talking about and wanting to see from those movies. But 
Yeah, I just I I think it's just I, I'm gonna walk away thinking it's just a very well conceived movie that again maybe there were some like watershed moments as far as you know the, it being hybrid in nature, but I don't I I'm curious to see what exactly what the snuff is about. You know, I mean, what why is this put on a pedestal, and if it's aged well enough, you know what I mean? Is this one that everyone thought it was when Gaga for, and then now it's like oh it just like the Library of Congress is like, all right, let's just throw this fucker in. Like, it's yeah. Just, let's just get <laughs> it, it out of the way. Is it going to make me uncomfortable, like Gone with the Wind sort of thing? Like, ugh. Yeah. I did see the running time, so I, I, I do understand it to be a fairly economical movie, so I know we're not going to be watching, like, The English Patient here. <laughs> um, but... I know, I checked that when you when you recommended it. I was like, it's a Tuesday night. I, for some reason, in my head, Casablanca is five hours long. And, that, and that's maybe another thing, too, that I always thought that maybe this was just a long, drawn-out epic, and mm-hmm. not, like, a bad thing, but just one that needs your attention over the course of, like, two laundry loads. Um <laughs> But no, this is a this is a a single wash, a single wash, single wash, quick wash, but yeah, I, again, I don't want to create a movie in my head that's not going to be shown to me in the next 10 minutes or so. So I think I'm just going to pass it to you, Adam, before I get too far ahead. Yeah, I mean, I kind of talked about the expectations a little bit just to see, like you said, Johnny, what makes this so beloved and i think to your point like in my head i think i mix this up with gone with the wind a lot because they're both these like seminal films from an early film period both around romantic relationships but like one is four hours and this one's you know a shade over 90 so uh it'll be interesting to kind of put those two things that just are up so high on a pedestal um into more perspective at least with this one i'm also kind of intrigued because I I don't have a huge grasp on like what pre World War II like and obviously this is out before the end of it what the like culture and dynamic was in like Africa and the Middle East and India because like you see these things where it's back when they were just completely different areas of the world than what we know them as today so to assuming this takes place in Casablanca in Morocco like I'll be interested to kind of see what that whole area is like and see that in a different light just because you know i have no basis really for that area of the world other than what it's like now Uh, and i have i get this feeling at least from cinema that it was a very different time back in the turn of the century up to the midway point of the 20th century so to see something set there much in the way that like the third man was set in a completely different type of scenario than what the world is like now like it'll be interesting to kind of see that so i'm interested to see what kind of vibe and dynamic we get from a place that doesn't normally have a lot of movies set so that i think that's going to be interesting but yeah i just want to kind of know what it's about both from a story perspective and from a phenomenon perspective uh, and kind of put all that into place and like johnny said kind of get the the weight off your off your back in terms of not seeing this masterpiece or the seminal work. Um, so I'm I'm just interested to to see what comes out of it, knowing only lines, but not <laughs> yeah. not the context for them. Yeah, yeah. Right. I didn't even know this was set around World War II until Johnny said something. So uh, it'll be interesting, you know, with that tying in 
if this takes place during the war, how like is this guy a you know a draft dodger? Is this something where he's hiding out from war in Casa? Like I don't. It'll be interesting to kind of see what the socioeconomic politics of the of the time period are going to be in relation to this kind of love story. And I'm also very much looking forward to the 1940s uh, talking because, as as you all know, I'm a huge fan. There's a lot now, of talking. Now, yeah. Now, Bridget, how were you introduced to this film? Because when I say like a weight lifts it off my my shoulders or my chest, it's because I don't want to disappoint you or like my <laughs> grandfather who probably told me to watch this movie. I know this is everyone's grandpa's favorite movie. Yeah. Um, I came across this movie in high school, right when I was starting my check every film in the 1000 movies to see before you die book off the list. It must've been like free on demand or something Threw it on. And I just, I loved it. I've watched it probably 20 plus times since oh wow i could watch this is a you could bring this movie to a deserted island i could watch it every day and not be dissatisfied sort of never get sick of it which i know i'm maybe setting high standards uh or high you would be the you would be the first no one's ever said anything no one's ever said that (laughs) no one's ever said i really like the movie casablanca um you're out on a really really (laughs) I know it's so so quirky of me, um, <laughs> but I I do really love this movie. You know, I think it gets compared to Citizen Kane a lot. Citizen Kane is like the most well acclaimed movie of all time, and Casablanca is kind of like the the most well loved. And I think that's true. You know, I've seen Citizen Kane once and I continue to go back to Casablanca, which I think says something about about both. But yeah, I just I think you guys will like it. I think it's got something for everyone. I think a lot of movies had tried to capture what this movie has, uh, but it's it's more than the sum of its parts. And I think you're both going to enjoy it, or at least I hope you do. That's where I stand. Nice. Well, I hope we enjoy it yeah. as well. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to be the one to push you off that ledge you're out on. <laughs> like, actually. Yeah. Is there anything else we think we need to discuss before we put a load of whites in? <laughs> no, I think I'm good. I'm. Uh, I think, I'm yeah, I think I'm to, good. Ready to sit down and watch it. All right. Well, gentlemen, what do you have to say for yourselves? Fine. Fine. I'll, I'll watch, watch it. it. You must remember this. A kiss is just a kiss. A sigh is just a sigh. The fundamental things apply as time goes by. And when two lovers woo, they still say I love you, on that you can rely, no matter what the future brings as time goes by. Jealousy and hate 
woman need man, and man must have his mate that no one can deny. It's still the same old story, a fight for love and glory, a case of do or die. The world will always welcome lovers as time everyone welcome back we've just finished Casablanca directed by Mike Curtiz 1942 considered one of the greatest movies of all time Johnny and Adam how do you feel it was okay (laughs) all right Adam how do you feel I quite liked it all right yeah I thought it was a a good story. It had a lot of fast talking dialogue, which I'm a big fan of, you know, not all of it was necessarily like punchy, but it was still like a nice, it's kind of like a nice treat. And you know how I love me some 1940s talking. So (laughs) you get a lot of it, a lot of great forties character actors. You got Peter Laurie, Sidney Greenstreet. It's like a, a Neapolitan of 1940s film. Yeah, and, and I, Humphrey I, Bogart is the is the the bull the cool holding it all top. together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, I quite liked it. I was uh, I was engaged in the story. I thought it was I thought it was good. I thought it was riveting. You know, I wasn't even though a lot of it hits popular culture. I wasn't a hundred percent sure of how the end was going to go. So I was like enthralled to to keep going there was some twists and turns there at the end where you know it kind of sets you up for one thing and then gives you a couple different swerves which i appreciated uh and overall i just it was just a nice just a nice movie right. yeah it's 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 nice it's <laughs> um i didn't it just movies didn't connect with me at all it just it looks good it sounds good I, the camera movements are really cool um a lot of dolly movements excessively it's at some points or another i feel like i was watching casino or something yeah the acting was good i don't know i just after a while i was like i don't know if i like this movie but (laughs) i think overall i think it's i i I get it there's a lot of funny there's some cool lines some cool characters i like the piano player i like um uh, ingrid bergam is gorgeous to look at um yeah and uh she's lit exceptionally well too exceptionally well like pure hollywood golden image like that's what you see it just it's perfect just the right amount of vaseline on the lens to make her really (laughs) look angelic just just enough yeah every single time it cuts to a one shot of her like the lighting's completely different it's angelic you get the vaseline on the lens like it's just it's if you don't know like the behind the scenes filmmaking of yesteryear, it would stand out so much to be like, wait, why, why does she look completely different than every other man in this movie outside of the fact that she's just a gorgeous individual, but just like that old Hollywood sheen, as it were, just stands out so prominently in all of the shots. It's, it's incredible. Right. But 
yeah, I just I can't really pinpoint why this movie didn't work for me specifically, but it was brisk enough where it wasn't like, oh my god, another 90 minutes of this. I don't know if it's because I'm so exhausted of like Nazi occupied villainy movies. <laughs> Not just so much on this podcast, but like <laughs> Yeah, these it, weren't secret. In, in you knew general, these were coming. I think I'm fairly fatigued from that, and I understand this is one of like the fir- maybe the first ones to do it. But yeah, I just it's it's just such a tired thing for me at this point. So I had to kind of like get that out of my head. But at the same time, I'm like these guys kind of maybe pioneered it a little bit, and it's just more melodrama than than I wanted it to be. I wanted a little more going on, just a little more gunplay, a little more. I don't know. More spy, more more, more, more spine, something a little more sinister. But I get it. I I understand why it's a classic. Uh, just not a classic for me. <laughs> Fair enough. You you are right in that. You know we've taken in so much content. You know from Indiana Jones, Rocketeer. You know just on the show, but you know Nazis have become this like automatic stand-in extreme villain of course this is they're the bad guys perfect and that wasn't necessarily the case entirely warner brothers in particular as a studio and they're the studio that produces casablanca was one of the first american studios to be really virulently anti-nazi starting in the late 30s and they kind of make their mark in the 40s doing war movies. They're always seen as the more grounded, realist filmmakers, especially when you compare them to a studio like like MGM, which is doing like big, fluffy musicals and stuff at this time. But they shift from doing gangster crime films in the 30s into being the studio that produces a lot of war movies contemporary to World War II. So... You are correct. <laughs> the music is really cool in this movie, too. Mm. I liked it. Yeah, I not just it. Sam's piano playing, but all of the like motifs and themes that extend off from that. Like, I think I heard six or seven different versions of the song that, you know, that he plays, like their goodbye song, essentially, throughout right. the film in different ways and different snippets and at different tempos and just to fit the mood. But it's a good use of a you know, quote unquote theme throughout. Yeah. You get it romantic. You get Ingrid Bergman humming it very beautifully. You get it ramped up to be super tense at the hangar. Yeah. And I even love the opening bit of music, you know, as the globe is spinning and there's the I opening. I love the globe. Love the globe. <laughs> Let's talk about the globe. I'm such a big fan of the globe. Cause like, <laughs> It's not a like it's not an animation either, which is great. Like it's just an actual practical globe that they're, they're spinning, it's rotating on yeah, on like yeah, on a lot, yeah. Yeah, big fan of that. So, Adam, how did you feel about the setting? That was something you were looking forward to a little bit. Yeah, I liked it. I mean, I I realized as soon as we stopped and I started watching the movie that I was like, oh, this is kind of like uh, Indiana Jones. Like I get the same. <laughs> <laughs> the same kind of vibe forgetting that like i i think of 
of that as being a movie from the 80s and forget that it's a movie set in the 30s a lot of times. So I was like, oh, it's it's that that actual very, very familiar setting because I've seen (laughs) Raiders so many times. So, okay, that makes sense now. Um, But no, it was cool. I, you know, as much as I think it maybe hindered Johnny's enjoyment having the Nazi occupied or I guess technically non-occupied France. It was still interesting to see because like, I didn't know that that was a French territory that was kind of, and I love the, the narration at the beginning that kind of sets up that scenario with the globe, like that old style movie newsreel essentially of telling you what the world is like, which makes this film evergreen because they wouldn't have to necessarily explain that to you if you were living in 1941, 1942, like that just might be a thing that's known. Uh, I don't know for certain, obviously, but I liked that they kind of gave that setup of like, okay, here's why Casablanca is important rather than just like, here's a random city we picked in West Africa. So it, it was neat to see that there was this kind of melting pot, if you will, of different people. Like there's, European refugees from all over Europe. So it's not just French people. The the couples, there's the couple from Bulgaria, uh, they're from Oslo, and just like all these different places that all come to Casablanca in the hopes of getting out to Portugal and then to uh, America, which was something I didn't know about, which was kind of neat to see as like a different kind of backdrop. It did feel a lot like the third man being all those different places and all those different people worried about being uh, sent back to the horrible places that they came from or the war-torn places that they came from. Um, So it was kind of interesting to see that as the setup, knowing that there's people who don't care like Rick, there's the French police and military, people who are loyal to France, people who hate the Germans, people who are indifferent, the Germans themselves coming in and kind of trying to establish dominance was just like a it allowed for more than just the story of Rick and Elsa. And it gave the world more of a lived in feel, which I thought was cool. Yeah. I like the club and the bar. What was one was called like the blue parrot. I think Mm -hmm. the blue parrot. Yep. Yeah. That one Rick's own club was fun to kind of have the camera fly around. But yeah, I mean, there were, I mean, there were a lot of like cool interior shots. I mean, I, there were some, things as it seemed like stock footage and stuff like that to sort of just fill in those gaps but yeah definitely lively and lived in for sure yeah it's it's yeah it it it, it didn't feel a lot of time like i was watching like something shot on a stage it looked it looked good yeah rick's rick's always looks good rick's looks like a real place you could you could walk into and and order a french 75 <laughs> you know um but it was all shot on the the Warner Brothers back lot, except for the scene at the airport that was shot at Van Nuys Airstrip, I believe. Mm. I think the movie does is much stronger or more enjoyable for me, at least as a kind of ensemble piece. I love the first half more as you're, you do have those flying shots around Rick's and you're seeing all these different people getting a sense of where they've all come from, their backstories, you know, trying to sell their diamonds. And I get diamonds all the time. They're worth nothing. <laughs> this will be $2,500. Thank you very much. You know, you don't even really meet Rick, our main character, until quite a bit into the movie. 
And those are the parts I always enjoy, you know, near the end, maybe because I've seen the movie so much. I'm like, I know she's getting on the plane. She's getting <laughs> on the plane, whatever. Like, it's fine. But the first half I could just watch over and over again. And any any scene with Claude Rains, Captain Renault, is top tier <laughs> for me. I know I'm so conflicted about him because like his character was really funny. And obviously in the end, he redeems himself a bit. But I got so skeeved out when they were like, oh, just go speak to the captain about your visa issues. And the woman's like, a, he's like adjusting his suit in the mirror and like slicking his hair back because, you know, he's about to do something skeevy. Mm -hmm. uh, and then when the woman goes to Rick and is like, is he going to keep his word? Like, did I just have relations with him for no reason? Like, did I just cheat on my husband and now I'm not even going to get papers out of it? Uh, and he's like, no, it's it's fine. Like, he does this, but like, he'll give you the papers. Just, yeah, you had to blow him or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, yeah. I, it's terrible that everything he's doing is terrible. He's my favorite character in the movie. Yeah. I find him a, delightful. It's a really hard, like, I'm still kind of wrestling over with it a little bit because every part that he's in is like funny and clever. My favorite one is when he shuts the club down. And he's like, I've just discovered there's gambling happening here. Oh, right yeah. The dude walks out. And he's like, sir, you're winning. Yeah. He's just got so like when he and Rick are talking about, you know, why won't you go back to America? Did you abscond with the church funds? <laughs> I like to think that you killed a man. It's the romantic in me. It's just like so like <laughs> zings him every single time. Um I know I'm often I struggle with the the morals of some of the characters we've examined and I just I don't even care in this movie. I love him so much. <laughs> it's like, yep, it's fine. It's like a Wild West mentality almost cuz you in any of these kind of old world, you know, pre-1950s occupied or not occupied nations necessarily cuz this is unoccupied France but territories of these bigger European countries. It's it's the Wild West, essentially. So, mm -hmm. like, I don't even blame him for taking bribes and for winning at roulette and, like, all of the kind of shady stuff he does as the police person in Casablanca. Because it seems like from the setting of the movie specifically, I don't know that this is the real world implication, but at least in the, this movie's version of Casablanca, it's kind of everyone just kind of lives their life and everyone seems fine. And as long as you're not actively trying to hurt the you know, the big the big brother countries uh, from Europe, you're fine. And you just kind of are left to your own device. They'll round you up every now and again, but they'll release you and it's fine. Like, I didn't get a real sinister vibe from anything going on necessarily. So all of his kind of shenanigans are just kind of like, eh, whatever. Like, everybody just turns a blind eye to everything. <laughs> Except the, the visa stuff where he's in control of that and basically making the wives bow down to him to get visas, which is sketchy as all hell, but... Everything else just kind of seemed like, eh, he's just a he's a goofball and pour him another drink. He's fine. <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe that's why I didn't, I didn't I didn't really feel like there were any huge stakes at play because there was always kind of like this playfulness to the movie that everything everyone in this movie was going to turn out all right, except for maybe like a Nazi's going to get shot. And a Nazi did get shot. So it's like <laughs> it's. Do you know what I mean? Like, if it was just a little more sinister, like we talked about, a little more heavy, 
it would have been like, oh man, like this is some serious shit. But this is just, it's whatever. It it is '40s golden era Hollywood. We're not steep too deep into dark Darren Aronofsky type of fucking shit yet. But like yeah, Tarantino's Casablanca is a very different movie. Yeah, in Glorious <laughs> Bastards, they called it. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but. Yeah, again, I I just I think it, and I hate to say it, it's maybe one of those things where I just I didn't want this going in. We talked about it, but like building the movie in my head, what I kind of wanted, what I ultimately ended up getting. But again, it's not a terrible thing. I'm not like completely disappointed or anything. I'm just I'm a little more disappointed in myself that I didn't like love what I saw. So. No, but I think you've got a point, especially with there's no sinister like bad guy like there's no antagonist really it's just kind of like these bumbling nazis trying to catch this escaped convict and even that feels like the third or fourth story in the movie so it never comes off necessarily as this like sinister bad guy that gives a movie like this stakes it feels like there's just like if if i'm going to use raiders like it's just the other archaeologist like there's no nazis behind him really they're kind of there in the background but like there's no big there's no big bad so to speak and so that does kind of give the movie uh an almost too happy-go-lucky feel and then they just mix in the romantic melodrama of it which even then i don't even think is that big a part of it for me it's mostly why i like the movie is just kind of the world more so than any specific subplot it's treated nazis the way like the sound of music treated nazis like as far as making them <laughs> i i get it just they it's they're there but there's so much other like fun stuff going on in the foreground that they kind of get just get washed away and then when it's time for them to be like the big bad guys it's like yeah i'm not terribly scared of you guys the movie told me not to be scared of you guys i'm not like <laughs> yeah i just so. watched you guys have a sing-off of national anthem. Correct. Like, yeah. So it's just <laughs> my God, that was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, Bridget. For I mean, for you, I mean, you've seen this is your twenty first time seeing it. Oh, great! It it delights me every time. Watch this one in bed because that's normally where I watch it. Very snuggled, very comfy. <laughs> it is a warm blanket of a movie. I'll give it that much. It feels just everything just feels nice to look at to listen to. To fall asleep to? No, I didn't fall yeah. asleep to this movie, but no, it gives it gives the world the Vaseline sheen that it gives Ingrid Bergman in this movie. Like that's how I feel. I feel yeah. like her, just like ooh, just soft and glowy. Um, <laughs> you know, because it does it softens you know the reality of what it would have been like to be a refugee and the reality sure. of essentially trying to traffic yourself out of danger into a an unknown place um the the conflict of this movie is not even so much you know good guys versus nazis as much as it is you know the ideology of the individual i don't stick my neck out for anyone i'm gonna do what makes me happy i'm gonna sleep with married women and give them visas in exchange i'm gonna do shady deals in the blue parrot. I'm going to do whatever I want versus, you know, the idea of sacrifice and doing things for the greater good and giving up someone you love 
to go on to do work that that betters the world, you know, and people don't frequently make that choice. And so it's nice that the movie ends with, even though it's bittersweet, if you're rooting for Rick and Elsa, everybody seems to make the correct choice or what feels like the morally strong choice. Now, how about you, Johnny? Were you rooting for Rick and Elsa? Were you invested at all in their dynamic? I know you mentioned kind of the the melodrama of it, bringing it down a little for you. Is is this something that you were at least rooting for them to get together? Were you rooting for Elsa and her husband to stay together? How were you feeling about the, as we moved towards the inevitable Yeah, I, I would say as, as many characters point out about his characters, they, whatever, how, how he is, is that he's very cynical. Um, he's very morally ambiguous to the point where I just going into it and throughout the movie, I'm like, I don't think this guy is going to get everything he wants in the end. There's just no way he's going to get it. There's not a huge arc to his character. They just kind of pepper in the fact that he's kind of been nice to people in the past and treated, you know what I mean? (laughs) So it's like, it just seemed like in the type of character he is, he's just going to be the guy to kind of be like, Oh, I'm just going to let this one go. Like, it's just another thing in my life, another chapter in my life. I'll be fine. You know what I mean? He's too strong of a person. He's too proud of a person, too. And almost selfish a little bit in a way that, like, he's going to be fine. Like, he doesn't need her. He doesn't need the success of his club or anything like that to to be fine or to be content, I guess. So, I yeah, I, I just, I, I never thought there was going to be a happy ending with this one. Hmm. Well, I mean, he made it. He made a new dear friend, so sure. <laughs> he doesn't go away empty-handed, at the very least. Right. He's got the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Yeah, that was another line that I I didn't. Uh, I yeah, didn't I really like the lines. This. Yeah. Here's looking at you. There's some other yeah. ones. Yeah, the I remember the gym joints. Yep. Yep, that one. That one I had heard a bunch before. I didn't realize how much of the speech I had heard before, both in just from obviously other characters and other things probably doing their own version of it but also just like snippets of it that have you know you take one piece of it and it becomes its own phrase and then a different piece of it like very rarely have i ever heard it all together but i was surprised at how much of it i actually knew from that big climactic get on the plane yeah and the context was very different too like i didn't realize in just having heard that before, that there even was another guy involved in that scenario. I thought it was just like a, you know, we can't be together, star-crossed lovers kind of thing. Not necessarily a go be with your husband, it should be you guys, not me kind of scenario. So that even was surprising to me. I really thought that there was a chance that that Victor was going to die at some point in the movie to make way for this whirlwind romance to kick back up and have it be the choice at the end between like going and staying, not going with Victor and staying with Rick. Like, I, I think if, I think if Victor even died, he would have like pushed her onto the plane and stayed. Yeah. That's in the some thing. capacity. I, yeah. That's what I thought was going to potentially happen is that they weren't going to kick their romance up again. And I think this was maybe before the flashback, not realizing that they had been in love before in Paris, um, just that they recognized each other and had a, a backstory. I really thought Victor was going to get taken out at some point, either killed or arrested and sent back, or just that he was an inconsequential character 
to the overarching story that by the time we got to the end, it would just be about the two of them and not this other character. So I was honestly surprised that he made it all the way through the movie. He makes it. He's got the letters of transit. He's off. He's got the girl. Yeah. I miss I miss it. Did he explain how he got that gnarly scar? Just by being a freedom fighter. Yeah. <laughs> right in his, his, his little resistance newspapers, I guess. That's great. Given what we know of concentration camps, I'm surprised that's the only one. The only one, sure. Yeah. yeah. Although I did love his line of being like, I remember seeing your picture in the paper and you looked bigger. He's like, well, a concentration camp will cause you to lose a few pounds. Again, yeah. yeah just like... <laughs> Which, like, is weird to say that, like, oh, my favorite line was when he made reference to the torture in concentration camps. But, like, which I think speaks a lot to Johnny's point about there being a lack of real stakes is that they're they're cracking jokes about concentration camps in the movie. Like, that that makes it much more lighthearted than it probably should be, given the time period. Yeah. yeah. And some of what the general public understood, you know, we have a very clear understanding now of what was happening and what was experienced in those camps that was not necessarily the broad understanding at the time that this movie came out oh, for um, sure, yeah. you know the the scale of it but yeah it's definitely it's it's lighthearted right i mean we're 50 years away from like schindler's list and other movies where they're just like dive right into it which mm -hmm. so the evolution of cinema <laughs> <laughs> But I think a lot of that, too, would probably have to do with the fact that before you watched this movie, you would have sat through a newsreel explaining to you the horrors of what's going on overseas and, like, what people are fighting for. And then you don't want to then sit through a dramatic retelling of that real-life thing that you just saw. So I get the kind of, all right, we have to make this a little bit more easygoing for the the audience and their delicate 1940 sensibilities. Right. It wasn't even on studio's radar to make movies as dour as the movies that we're talking about these days anyway. So yeah, it just wasn't the uh, the current temperature of the cinema landscape back then. What I do think is interesting is a lot of the extras and like, the more bit actors were, you know, refugees from some of these countries. And so like particularly the scene where they sing La Marseille. There are people, you know, weeping in the bar. Some of them were actually crying during the filming. Uh, apparently, they were so moved by the experience. And someone in the cast, more largely Conrad Veidt, who plays Major Strasser, fled Germany with his wife in the 30s. He was not Jewish himself, but he was married to a Jewish woman. And throughout his career, he said, I went on to take on, like, he goes on to play Nazis throughout his career and he said i went i chose these roles specifically so i could emphasize just how sort of inhuman and evil these people were you know i couldn't there weren't things that i was capable of doing like i wasn't going to go to war or anything but you know i could i have this skill set in making these people look despicable so that's what i'm going to do i think it's interesting i was just reading here that apparently it was banned at one point in Ireland and was there was a heavily edited version released in West Germany after 1945 that like removed Nazis and the war completely from the movie. It's like which, 30 minutes shorter. Yeah, which I guess is a very very different very different scenario. 
Thor, I don't even know why you'd put the work in to like redo it. Just be like, oh, sorry, West Germany, you're not going to see the movie where Nazis are bad. So I'm sorry. <laughs> Something I remember believing for years, I don't know if I'd read it someplace, was that, you know, there's a secret alternative ending where Rick and Ilsa stay together, like she doesn't get on the plane and, you know, this elusive lost footage, which apparently, according to my research today, is not true. But what is true is uh, they shot the film in chronological order because they were still working on the script during production. It's based off of a like okay screenplay or stage play called Everybody Goes to Rick's or something. And they were trying to adapt it and mold it for the film, uh, but they didn't know how they were going to end it necessarily. You know, whether she was going to go off with Laszlo or stay with Rick. Um, part of the reason that they have her go off with her husband is because of the the code enforcement at the time. You know, they couldn't have this happy ending be a woman leaves her husband so that was nixed pretty quickly. But at least early in the production, Ingrid Bergman was very confused as to how to play her part. Like She would go to Mike Curtiz and be like, which one of them am I in love with? Mm -hmm. He's like, I just play it unsure, which I think works because she does feel very unsure. And it gives a little bit more stakes to, you know, I don't know which way she's going to go. Mm. And how yeah. she really feels about anything. Yeah, like I you, said, I mean, up until the end, I wasn't even sure what happened. Because in my in my mind, too, I had this this notion of, like, I've seen this in a bunch of movies where, like, the person who, you, you know, the girl or the guy, whoever, gets on the plane, gets on the bus, gets in the cat, like, does, gets on the mode of transportation. And then the mode of transportation leaves but that person's still standing there. And so in my head, I was like, is that from this movie? Like, is the plane going to take off and she's just going to be standing there on the tarmac being like, I couldn't do it. I, I couldn't leave you again. I, He knows he's going to go off and do freedom fighter work, but it's you and me. And like, we're going to get through this together kind of thing. So like in my head, I was like, oh, there's a real op chance that she's going to stay. <laughs> I've seen some really funny imagery in my head. I'm seeing one Victor like coming back from like the back of the plane with a couple of cocktails in his hands, like we did it, babe, and like he's not there. <laughs> the uh, the the other alternative is like Rick, like Mission Impossible, to the side of the plane with a cigarette in his mouth, like like Tom Cruise flying out of fucking Morocco. <laughs> Hey, I don't need papers if I just attach myself to the side of this plane. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's funny because that's like shit where you would see that like in a family guy or something like that where yeah. it's yeah. just asking to be parried. Something that I read courtesy of IMDb trivia back in the mid 2000s, Madonna wanted to remake the film with her as Ilsa Lund and Ashton Kutcher as Rick. Get out of here. Come she pitched on. the idea to every studio, but was unanimously rejected by everyone, with one studio executive telling her, the film is deemed untouchable. She eventually scrapped the proposed project. Now, I know that some of these trivia facts are crowdsourced, so this could be completely made up, but I want to believe it's true. I, I want know. to believe. 
I think it's fake only because I cannot believe in good conscience that every single Hollywood studio was smart enough to pass on this. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like I don't doubt that that's an idea that could have been thought of by a person who thinks they can do anything. But I, I do not believe that there isn't some dumb executive who's like, I'm not going to pass up the chance to work with Madonna. Like, and Ashton Kutcher is so, right? yeah. so hot right now. <laughs> Have to do it. Even if we get hated, we'll win every Razzie. It'll be totally worth it. And I'll get to work with Madonna for, you know, 12 weeks or whatever. Like, it's totally worth it. It would only work if the guy from Naked Gun did that movie. Just like, full you... just full on wall-to-wall zaniness. I don't think anyone could have handled it. Was there any more details to that? Like, would it still be set in the 40s? Like, would it still be set in a, you know, Occupy? Or would it just be like, it's Casablanca, but it's now. <laughs> and... <laughs> See, now I have to. No, I, I think it would have to be that time period. But, like, instead of, like, the blue parrot, it would be, like, the red elephant. And it would, like, take up, like, the whole fucking bar. And people would be like, what the fuck is this elephant doing here? <laughs> I can't get into the club. The elephant's blocking the door. Yeah. Like, yeah, well, it's the namesake. What are you going to do? <laughs> it's his place. Yeah. Also, it did kind of bother me a little bit that I can't tell what color the parrot outside the blue parrot was because the film's in black and white. Like, I I wanted to see a blue parrot, and it's just a, a regular right. bird in black and white, and it bothers me that I can't tell that it's blue. <laughs> there was reference to another color in the movie, too, that I was trying to... I was like, oh, that would have been good to see, but... Speaking more in the ending, Jenny, I want to get your feedback on this because it was it was asked in the room as I was watching it because uh, Jamie watched it with me. She had never seen it before either. Um, but do you think that when Rick is giving his big speech to Victor about how Elsa came to him and she said that she still loved me, but she doesn't mean it. She was just pretending she was trying to seduce me to get the papers. Do you think that he's right? Do you think Elsa was just doing a put on or do you think she legitimately was confused and wanted to to maybe stay. Well, I think either way, he's like lying to him to kind of just get her out of there, right? Yeah, I think he's, I mean, ultimately, he he may not know. I don't know if he believes the words that he's saying or not, but I was just trying to get a sense of whether or not you feel like he is right or if he was lying to himself to make sure that there was no animosity between husband and wife for her seemingly wishy-washy stance on their relationship right yeah i don't know what about you bridget you've seen this enough times and probably read up enough to maybe know definitively but do you think that he's he's lying to himself or do you think there was a kernel of the truth and he's just smart enough to see through her very good romantic acting i think there's a little kernel of truth there i think rick understands that I probably would not have had this second shot with her if she didn't need these papers. And maybe everything we said to each other that night was true, but it's not. She loves her husband. You know, whether it's a sort of deep, romantic, knock your socks off, like head over heels love like we have. Maybe not, but that love is runs deeper. It's more important to her than what we have. 
So I don't know. But then, you know, is he just kind of throwing her a bone? Like, I want to make sure you're completely in the clear so that you can go off and have your life. You will not have to deal with any future resentment from your husband. You know, you're totally, I release you. So I don't know. Yeah, I suppose the wishy-washy nature, the flip-flop nature of it kind of upset me towards the end. I'm like, just get to the fucking plane already. <laughs> but, yeah. I'm just, just I, imagining Johnny on the tarmac, like, are we leaving or not? Yeah, what, what is this? This thing is delayed by, like, 20 minutes. You're talking to the stewardess. Three paper menus. It's <laughs> my luggage. Listen, Nazis are showing up here. We gotta go. We, we gotta go. <laughs> Remove Let's the blocks. Go. Let's go. How much time has passed since the France error of this story to now where they're like in love and they see each other again? Is that ever brought it's up? It's never explicitly stated, but I believe it's 1940 when France becomes occupied or, or Paris becomes occupied. And I want to say... Somewhere I read this, and I feel like it's true, at the beginning of the movie when we first see Rick, he signs a check, and the date on it supposedly says, like, December 2nd, 1941. Oh yeah, he says it straight up, too. He When he's asking Sam, drunk at night, he says, it's December, like, it's December 2nd, uh, what time is it in New York? That's right. So, um, t- uh, almost two years. Okay. Yeah, Germany invades Paris on June 14th, 1940. So, assuming that's the same timeline in the movie that it is in in real life, that would that would put it at a little over a, a year, year and a half. Gotcha. When he said that too, when it when he's like it's December 1941, I was like, are we going to get like a Pearl Harbor reference here? Like is there going to be some kind of news cable come across and like maybe that'll be the catalyst for Rick being like, oh shit, like it's come to my home country now, even though I can't go back there. And there's some weird ambiguity as to why. I thought maybe that would be like a a cattle, you know, a catalyst moment for him to be like, shit, I gotta do the right thing. Like now it's now it's hitting America. Like now it's it's this thing that's even bigger than me when it was already spiraling out of control before, but like now it's hitting home essentially. So I was honestly surprised that that didn't come into play. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, the movie hints at, you know, patriotism and everything, but it's not really talking about, you know, American patriotism. Rick is, refers to his nationality as, I'm a drunkard, (laughs) and Renault comments, that makes you a citizen of the world. You know, America almost exists as this concept, but nobody's really being like, I'm doing this for America. It's this kind of unspoken I think encouragement for American audiences who would have been watching it at the time. Like, doesn't it feel good, you know, to to be welcoming and bring people in and to be fighting the good fight with the allies and not being isolationist? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously under a different lens for American audiences, which is ultimately what the movie was made for, mm-hmm. given that they're now, because when do you say this came out? 1942? Yeah, they rushed it. They rushed production. They wanted to release it sooner. So they premiered it in late November 1942. They're like, we'll tie in with the Allied invasion of North Africa, which is a very twisted promotional gamble. 
Um, but it went at a wide release it, later in 1943. Yeah, it looks like January 23rd, 1943. So, uh, but I, uh, my point was that it, this is basically a year after mm-hmm. the U.S. enters the conflict officially um, yeah. that this is coming out. So it would be under a different kind of situation. And I can maybe see why looking at how closely this came out to the actual event, why they wouldn't want to necessarily be like, remember Pearl Harbor? Like, that's the anniversary of that's about to happen. Yeah. Or just did, like, remember? Again, speaking to the the way in which they made this as lighthearted as it could be, given that it's taking place during and about, essentially, the World War. Did you have any particular favorite uh, lines of dialogue, Johnny? I like the one at the very end. It's already escaping me because we just imagined it about oh the start of a, a beautiful relationship. Mm-hmm. I like that one. The here's looking at you. I felt like was just said one more time than it needed to be said. <laughs> well, I get. But, I mean, they had to establish that as their like little ro- romantic catchphrase in the sure uh, in the flashbacks. But it does because they say it so much. It does kind of it didn't feel necessarily as impactful to me, at least when he said it at the end, like for some reason that should have felt a lot more. It should have hit a lot harder. And it was just kind of like, oh, okay, he said the thing. (laughs) Yeah, I think it should be like like one to establish it, maybe like a second one and then like a third one to kind of like at the end of the movie to kind of like wrap it around. But it seemed like he did it two or three more times, like at at the end. Mm. I don't know. It just lost its. It's mojo. Yeah. <laughs> this is why you're getting left at the airport, Rick. Right. You only have one card to play. Yeah, it's like, dude, don't say don't say your romance catchphrase to your ex. That's creepy. You know, you're not even yeah. sure if she feels the same way. <laughs> I like the line about rounding up the usual suspects. I was like, okay. Oh. I want to see who those people were, by the way, and that never happened. Oh, yeah, we never get to see him. <laughs> you know who they are, though. <laughs> They're the usual suspects. Bunch yeah. of Nazis. Yeah. The- it's the vultures, vultures everywhere guy. <laughs> yeah, just pin that murder on him too. Be like, he got out and he killed yeah. another Nazi. It's it's his mo. Yeah. <laughs> it was the parrot the entire time. It was yeah. The little bird reaches the under little his bird, leg. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a like it's like it's like three dudes and, and like one parrot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a line delivery that I love and I think about a lot, and it comes from the marvelous Peter Lorre as Ugarte is getting arrested and he goes and he finds Rick and he's like, Rick, help me. Rick, help me. Rick! (laughs) 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 What is that guy from? His whole demeanor was so... You know him from Looney Tunes. Oh, okay. That is probably how you know him. Because he's frequently caricatured. Um, But he's in Maltese Falcon as well, I believe. He's yep. he's the Steve Buscemi of the 1940s. <laughs> <laughs> P- Peter Laurie, you're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 And Sydney Greenstreet is like the Willem Dafoe. <laughs> <laughs> Just slightly bigger boned. <sighs> he wasn't in it very much. He was the kind of a weird inclusion of just like, oh, there's the guy that runs all of the underground stuff. He's not going to do any of it, but he runs it. Yeah. Senor Ferrari. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he just keeps. We're just gonna keep telling you he does all of the illegal shit, but he's gonna deny doing it 
to anybody in this movie. Yeah. Everyone who needs illegal shit, no thank you. But don't worry, he does it, I swear. You can tell Rick, Rick has been dealing with this shit for like as long as he's been on that place has been open. <laughs> it's like at any moment, Rick would be like, could you just not fuck? Could you fuck off right now? <laughs> I do love the line at the end after he sells him the bar where he's like, and remember, you still owe the the bar like a carton of cigarettes or whatever, a hundred thousand cartons of cigarettes. He's like, OK, don't worry, I'll repay them to myself. <laughs> So many good, morally gray characters. I also, uh, I love the line where the the captain's sitting down with the, I forget who, but he's like, no, get him a champagne and put it on my tab. It's great. They put it on my tab and then I rip the tab up. (laughs) It's a fun little game we play. Yeah. Uh, There's a couple lines too. You know, he's always making slight digs at, um, Colonel Strasser too, mm. you know, just being like, mm. well, I was there in Berlin in 1918 with the Americans. I don't know. Maybe you don't want to fuck with Rick. Mm. It's up to you. <laughs> Very diplomatic in French. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to straddle this line perfectly so you don't really know where my allegiances lie, but they they lie with me. Yeah. But Stop I have a twinkle in my eye, so you think... Mm. Yeah. You know, I'll eventually... I'll make good for you. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, because he knows he's like I'm in charge here. Like I, you all think you're in charge, but like it's me. I'm in. I'm the corrupt police officer. I'm in charge. I know all the goings on everywhere. I know where all the skeletons are buried. You're just gonna have to put up with me, and I'm gonna be kind of a dick about it, <laughs> but in a fun way. So we all have fun. Yeah. Why should this be a chore? Come on now, everyone. Yeah, there's a war going on, guys. Lighten up. <laughs> <laughs> I did think it was very sweet, and I liked it a lot when when Rick made that that couple win at roulette, which I don't know how it's possible. I don't know how he did it. the The ball falls where it wants to. You can do only so much, I'd imagine, but maybe they have some fun nineteen forties rigged roulette table. Maybe. But that was sweet of him to let it them is. win. <laughs> Plus, yeah, he probably do... knows the horrible things that the captain did to the wife. Yeah. Well, because and. She hasn't done it yet because she's going to Rick to be like, it would be okay if I did this right and just like had it as a secret, like terrible thing. I never told him I could do this and it would be okay, right? Because we're not, he's not, my husband's not going to win the money and this is the only way that we're going to be able to get out of here. And so that's why Rick steps in. Oh, see, I thought she did it already. No, no, no. You have to do this and then you have to get me the money. Like it's a two step process. No. Oh, okay. You either need the money, which you don't have, but that's okay. I just enjoy the pleasure of your time. Yeah. That's the... Gotcha. Well, because they were in... They were the couple in the office where it's like, this this woman needs to speak to you about her visa issues or something like that. So I thought it happened already. Mm-hmm. And that this... And then she was just basically being like, trying not to have a nervous breakdown because she already did the thing and wanted to make sure that like, okay, so... Like, I did that for him, and that was step one. And if we get this money, like, he's going to help us out, right? Like, he's go- he's going to do it? Yeah. It's yeah. more so she's asking, if I do this terrible thing, he'll do it, right? Because Renault is the one who says, like, Rick will vouch for me. If you're concerned about doing it, just talk to Rick. He'll tell you everything. Gotcha. Um, 
makes it a little better now, I guess. Although uh, the captain and- skips town like that night, so do they even get out? Like, or do they just have this fat stack of money and are still stuck in Casablanca? Yeah. Well, then they can just go see Senor Ferrari <laughs> with their fat stack of money. Hmm. That's true. Maybe. Who knows? I hope they get out. And there's gonna be a power vacuum now. You know, if uh, if Renault's gone, there needs to be a new corrupt person in town. Yeah. That's another good line delivery. When the waiter gets asked by the the random patron, "Is this place honest?" He's like, honest, honest as the day is long. <laughs> yeah, because he just watched the owner walk over, tell someone what money to put down on what number, and then that person won a fat stack of cash. Yeah, on the same number twice. <laughs> yeah, what are the odds? The little nod, though, was great, where he's like, have you tried 22? And then looked up at the the dealer and was like, he's going to bet 22, you know. He's <laughs> <laughs> just, just a sweet man underneath all that gruff. Yeah. A rank sentimentalist. Yeah. I guess the ultimate question for you both now, if you were Ilsa, are you getting on the plane or are you staying with Rick? Adam, we'll start with you. Um... That's a good question. See, I don't know. I feel like we don't know enough about either's backstory, really. Just that, like, and I don't understand the, they kept bringing it up, and I don't know enough historical stuff to be like, you sold guns to the Ethiopians and you fought with the Span. Like, I don't know what that's in reference to, and I'm not quite sure what that means in the grand scheme of things, or someone watching the movie in the 40s would have understood better. But I guess that means that he's a freedom fighter type person too but i i mean i don't fault elsa and um victor makes the good point of being like no one's at fault here so you guys don't have to explain anything to me like i was arrested sent to a concentration camp and they said that i died so like what was she gonna do (laughs) just like mourn forever like I get it. She's a beautiful woman in Paris. Like, of course she was going to take up a lover. So I don't fault anybody in any, in this scenario at all. Cause obviously Rick didn't know either the circumstances. They weren't allowed to ask any questions, but yeah, I mean, I'd probably get on the plane just cause you're, the thought is you're off to America. You're now free from having to look over your shoulder every day. Even if she loved Rick more than she loved Victor, I feel like she probably loved safety and freedom a bit more. <laughs> and who wouldn't? Love that the most. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think there's a wrong answer. I don't think if she had stayed, I would have been like, I get it. Whirlwind romance. It makes sense. You know, love conquers all. They'll make it out of Casablanca some other way. And Victor will go on and he'll meet some new freedom fighter wife and everything will be, you know, everything will be fine. So I don't think there's necessarily a wrong answer, but I'd probably get on the plane. Johnny? Uh, is it a direct flight or is it a layover? <laughs> well, there's well, a layover. You do in have a Lisbon. layover in Lisbon. Yeah. You go plane to Lisbon and then, then to New York. Oh, I'm staying. <laughs> I'm staying. It's, it's it's too much fun. It's too there's there's clubs, there's parrots, there's monkeys, <laughs> tropical trees, Nazis. Why the fuck would you leave that? For for what? It, it is pretty hooty. <laughs> It is pretty hooty. Dangerous, but it's hooty. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. You just you fly to boring old America. 
Fair. God, she's beautiful though. <laughs> we can Charlie's circle like, back I fly, to that. Yeah, I want to fly to wherever she is. Yeah, where she's yeah. going, it's fine. Yeah, what, what's on her itinerary? Yeah, really. <laughs> what about you, Bridget? What would you do as the resident female expert on this show? Oh, see, I I love Humphrey Bogart. I had a big Humphrey Bogart poster on my wall all through college into like adulthood young adulthood basically until i met brian um <laughs> you went to college in the 40s right i did i did yeah. <laughs> um so that would be very difficult to walk away from um because you know bogey's so classic but i don't know laszlo's got something in his own boring vague way the scar is pretty good he's gonna have a new one on his arm from whatever yeah. happened climb out that window mm-hmm and there's something about, you know, that's kind of hinted at in the movie of the devotion that they have for one another. You know, as soon as she realizes he's alive, she drops everything and goes to him at, at great personal risk to herself. And he does the same thing. It's hinted at multiple times later as they're trying to leave Marseille and, and so on. So that that would be hard to give up to. I'm probably getting on the plane. Probably getting on the plane. Yeah, because I mean, no matter what, like, no matter where her allegiances kind of lie, she knows both guys just want to get her out of Casablanca. Like, they're just like, you need to leave Morocco. It doesn't matter if you're going with Victor, if you're going by yourself, if you're going with me, like, get out of here. Yeah. Go. Just like, go be safe somewhere. You deserve it. You've done nothing wrong. You're amazing. You're beautiful. I have Vaseline on my eyeballs. Just go because <laughs> i mean even victor before when they thought they were only going to be able to get one set of papers was just like yeah go just you just go go by your like i'll figure it out here and if i don't then whatever i'll keep being an underground freedom fighter and struggling every day but like you need to go you need to go be safe and live a real life which i think is ultimately why i'm glad that she did end up going because it would have i don't think it would have been as good if she stayed and they're like all right cool you threw away freedom and your husband for this, like, guy you were with for maybe a month. <laughs> yeah. Although we don't get a sense of how long they were together, but it doesn't seem like it was very long. Right. No, it's spring. Yeah, we, we know how far they, how long they were apart, but not how long they were actually together. All right. Johnny, have fun in Casablanca. I will. It Make will. a lot of bird friends. <laughs> a lot of bird friends. <laughs> I remember, 22. All the money on 22. Yeah. Right. Put it all on 22. Yeah, if you stay, you could be the new uh, police chief. That's true. There's a job like opening. That. There is and, a job opening. And he wins a roulette all the time. It's just one of the parts of the job. Assuming Ferrari keeps up the, the bargain. <laughs> yeah. So do you think you'll ever watch this again, Johnny? Yeah, I'll give it another shot at some point. I think it deserves another shake, but right now it's not it's not anytime soon yeah fair enough how about you adam um maybe not on my own like i don't think i would be the one to be like i need to put this on the way that that you would bridget Mm -hmm. but if if it was to to be like someone asked me like hey do you want to watch this I, i wouldn't say no you know or if somebody wanted to or express that they had never seen it, I would say, oh yeah, let's watch it. Like it's, 
is good. It's it's one you should check off the list. It's one of those. It's a seminal classic for a reason, and it may not be the best movie ever made, uh, in my opinion, but it's it's good enough where I wouldn't be like, nah, you can skip it. You can skip Citizen Kane. Watch this one. If you had to pick between two black and white classics of yesteryear, I'd say go with this one. Yeah. I'll probably watch this the next time I'm homesick from work. My usual. Like, <laughs> I feel like crap. <laughs> yeah, it really could. In 48 hours. Yeah. I'll still love it. <laughs> cool. Well, anything else that you guys want to get out there then before we, we wrap things up for this week? No. All right. Well, then that'll do it for this week's episode of Fine I'll Watch It. Remember, you can find every episode of Fine I'll Watch It every Thursday morning at 9 a.m. on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, and Spotify. Remember, you can rate the show in app, both on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. So if you give us five stars, that would be greatly appreciated. Uh, make sure to tell a friend if they like movies or if they're a person who just hasn't seen a lot of stuff and wants to hear about movies that they probably should see. Uh, make sure to tell them about the show as well. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Broken Clock Pods. So let's know what you think of Casablanca. Uh, was this something that you were shown by a parent or grandparent? Did you see it in college? Did you just seek it out on your own because you heard Humphrey Bogart was a dreamboat? Uh, let us know on Facebook and Twitter at Broken Clock Pods. But once again, for fine, I'll watch it. My name is Adam. I'm Johnny. Damn. I'm Bridget. And thanks so much for listening. Thanks.